to the Ripcord Moment, a podcast focused on empowering owners to achieve their perfect landing, their perfect exit. For most owners, the majority of their net worth is tied up in their business, yet many owners struggle to create a plan that maximizes the value of their business with their personal goals and personal financial plan. Joe C2 is the host of the Ripcord Moment. He is a partner and senior VP with Morton Capital, an independent wealth management firm responsible for $2 billion in assets. As a trusted advisor for over 20 years, he guides owners through the exit planning process by leveraging his unique skill set as a chartered financial analyst, certified financial planner, and certified exit planning advisor. Now here's Joe with the Ripcord Moment. Business owners are today's American heroes. They innovate. They create jobs. They believe they can create a better future for their families and our country. So much attention is given to the start of the business, the idea, the technology, the fundraising, yet much less to the exit, as if it will magically take care of itself. When they do go to exit the business, it's a once-in-a-lifetime event. There is no do-over. Yet we see so many owners are ill-prepared to make this jump. This podcast is focused on learning from those entrepreneurs and team of advisors who have made the jump and sharing their best ideas with you. So when you're ready for your ripcord moment, you can execute and hit your perfect landing. Today's guest is Brian Shaft and the founder and CEO of RBC Records, a music and media powerhouse working with rappers and hip hop artists. Brian, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation here. So, Brian, you built RBC from scratch, no outside capital investment. And it's I mean, it's a very successful company today. Walk us through like how you were able to do that. Well, it's pretty easy when you have your back against the wall. It's amazing what kind of strength you can come up with. Uh, I had a lot of experience in the music business up until that time. And as a matter of fact, I had worked for three other labels prior to starting my own company. The most recent one was a company called JCOR, who was underfinanced and ultimately went out of business. I had a long-term contract that wasn't paid out, a lot of expenses that weren't paid out. And when you have a decent amount of expenses in your life with no income coming in, you you realize uh, what you need to do to make things happen. So I did exactly that. I started off with a computer in my living room and uh, a, a big Rolodex and tried finding my way into figuring out how to start my own business with the, the knowledge I had. That's amazing, Brian. And so, you know, when we look at who your roster sort of is and who, who you've collaborated with over the years, it just absolutely reads like a who's who in the <laughs> hip hop rapper, uh, you know, uh, arena. I mean, NWA, Ice Cube, Dr. Dre, Nelly, all of the major names that we come to think of, and even some of the newer artists, uh, E-40, uh, Chief Keep, KSI. How were you able to? How were you able to do that? You know, it's in this business, as I'd imagine most businesses, it's about your reputation, what you're able to do. I'm that type of guy that's just not going to take no for an answer, whether it's for myself or moreover for my artists. So when they see the way I fight for them, when they see the effort that I put forth for them you get this great referral source. And, and, and I already had a reputation. And by starting my own company, it, it just put it into a different trajectory. So ultimately, it's, it's leveraging my successes that I've had on behalf of the artists. And within that small community, them talking to each other and ultimately referring other big artists my way. 
and just being involved with him. And I've been lucky enough to catch a, a few hits in the past 30 years of working in hip hop. That's truly amazing. And so as you built the business, it, it, obviously entertainment and music, it's a, it's very competitive, very challenging. At what point did you start to realize, I mean, how did ultimately the transaction with BMG come about and what made it attractive from your standpoint? Well, I wasn't really ready to sell, to be perfectly honest with you. I had an issue with a business partner that put me in a position where I had to sell. So I, I reached out to two companies that I really believed in that I've known for a long time and uh, approached them with the prospect of, of acquiring RBC Records. BMG was absolutely amazing, um, not only from understanding my business and, a, and, and a, a legitimate desire to understand what I have going to coming to some of my events with a full uh, army of people and absorbing it. You could see their enthusiasm, their excitement. And from my perspective, I felt like these people understood what I was trying to accomplish and moreover would help me get from point A to point B and really grow my business into something bigger and better than I ever thought was possible. That's amazing. What, what are some of the synergies now? You say more than you thought possible. Like, What are some of the things that have come about that you didn't expect at the time of engagement when you were in your initial discussions? You know, they'd always talked about their international prowess. It's something that most of my sales and most of my opportunities had happened domestically or, or, or at least in North America. So they kept mentioning this and saying how they could increase my business throughout the world and grow it throughout the world. And I got a firsthand experience in, in figuring out exactly what they were able to do. As one example, I represent an artist named KSI who has 30 million YouTube subscribers and is based in the UK. And here I am in Los Angeles signing this artist, despite the fact that BMG has a, a London office. In any case, I was able to work collaboratively with these guys. And when I say work with these guys, it's, it's a daily grind with my counterparts at BMG UK in an effort to grow this guy into a superstar. I mean, he was already big, but what we're able to do just to take him to that next level. These guys had feet on the ground, which enabled me to find the right publicist, the right radio people, the right situations. It was just a phenomenal experience. The other, the other thing is, is it's, you know, I, I was only looking at independent companies and BMG is an independent company. It just so happens to be an enormous independent company. It's owned by Bertelsmann that's worth $30 billion. So having access to deep pockets like this allowed me to do deals with artists, you know, that I never dreamed I could just in a position to write those types of checks. And they, they were never hesitated to do so. And, uh, you know, the results have, have been great for, for all parties. When you say, why was, it in, why was it important, Brian, for you to go with an independent company? It sounds like that was like almost a non-negotiable, I'm sensing. The only inaccurate part is the almost. It was oh, okay. non-negotiable. Okay. You know, I'd worked at Capitol Records for a little while and didn't like it there. I worked at Priority Records, which is the straight out of Compton movie. And like I said, J-Core. And the independents have a number of things that I really like. First of all, they, they care about the artists, in my opinion, on a lot different level. Specifically, they allow the artists to typically own their own masters. Secondly, and more importantly, it allows me to move more fluidly. I don't have to be subjected 
to someone trying to tell me how to do things when I know how, and I was a part of the original NWA and kind of built this hip hop game. I didn't want someone else telling me how to do it. I wanted someone to appreciate what I was doing and to join me in my mission and understanding that each artist is his own artist. And I don't give up on someone because a song doesn't work at radio like the majors might. These independent guys understand business on a bigger level, understand really how to service these guys and allow, like I said, most importantly, the flexibility to create a specific plan that works for these artists. And you know what, if it's not working, I have the ability to alter it at a moment's notice. So I'm really nimble and flexible, whereas the majors wouldn't allow me that type of movement. So it sounds like if I'm taking away some of this and I'm a business owner and I'm listening to Brian Shaft and give advice, if I'm someone who really values that flexibility, that being able to pivot if I'm looking for a suitor, I want to make sure that philosophically they operate in that same sort of manner and that they're going to allow me that if they acquire my business and I plan to continue to work uh, sort of for them or under their umbrella during the, the earnout phase. Okay. That's exactly the case. And in this particular situation, you know, I'd had these conversations during the courting process where I realized that BMG was amongst the biggest of the majors and, you know, I had a fear of bureaucracy, so I had to really communicate to them how hip-hop in particular has to be nimble and quick, and the speed to which we bring music to the marketplace was so crucial. So they really listened to me, heard me, understood me, and, and were in a position to support those, those efforts. Oh, wonderful. And it, so just to pick up on that again, it sounds like partnering with someone who really values your expertise and isn't going to micromanage you was something critical to making sure that this marriage really works in a way that's beneficial for both parties. You nailed it. Yeah, you nailed it. If I'm going to be listening, yeah, it's hard to listen to someone else when you kind of believe you have the model and thought it out and, and have had success for a long period of time. Got it. You've talked about a lot of the positives in your deal, and uh, but in, in the midst of the negotiation, when you were going through it, can you share with us, what were some of the more stressful things that you had to deal with uh, away from the creative side, but more on the business side? Well, the due diligence process, you know, is not easy. First of all, you know, these guys are trying, much as I'm trying to, to court them, they're trying to court me. So, so some of the things that they might have said, have, you know, might not have been exactly in line with everything else. Uh, as one example, the amount of time it would take to do the deal. It took a lot longer than we had anticipated. The due diligence phase of the business was, Pretty, pretty incredible in the sense that literally I had to retrace every transaction and explain every detail from contracts to statements to, to, to game plans. And uh, at the same time, continuing to run and manage my business during this period. So time was at a major premium. And that's definitely one of the examples of, of the stressors involved. And, and not really knowing, you know, I mean, this was a brand new process. So, so going into it, not knowing what to expect. And some of the questions were really difficult and took a long time to answer. And when I say some of the questions, I'm talking about a book, you know, an inch thick of questions and, and, and comments that you had to address. Yeah. I, you know, it's one thing you brought up that I hear commonly from owners that it's a little bit like trial by fire, so to speak, that as much as we as professional advisors can say, you know, you've got to, it's almost like working two jobs that oh, and some. And then yeah. some that, you know, here's what to expect until you actually are in it, go through it. 
you know, there's there's only uh, so much that can be said externally until you actually go through that experience. So. Agreed. I think if they were upfront, honest with you and said, hey, this is what you're going to have to go through, it might make you uh, have some second doubts. So I, I think that, you know, and again, I'm, I was negotiating with two parties at the same time. They're both saying the same thing. So I'm sure that that's their motivations. Like you make sure to keep them calm and just keep it going uh, through the process. It's not quick. It's not easy. It's long, hard. Uh, and ultimately, hopefully fruitful. And now that you're through it, do you feel like it was is worth it? Are you glad that you went through the process? I, I really enjoyed the process in retrospect. It, it made me understand the business on a fourth dimension, maybe even as I had to retrace things and, and stuff like that. So it was super interesting. And I definitely learned. I learned from myself, which is kind of weird, but but I really did. And it was it was incredible. Uh, but like I said, at the time it was arduous. It was time consuming. It was stressful. Uh, but in retrospect, you know, you, you tend to forget about those things and you just remember the good stuff. Wonderful, Brian. We're going to pause just for a moment for a word from our sponsor. and We'll be right back. As a part of our commitment to empowering business owners, we've partnered with sponsors that make this podcast possible. We've asked them to share a little bit about their ripcord moment and how they're helping owners hit their perfect landing. Morton Capital is a wealth advisory firm with the goal of helping families get the most life out of their wealth. We believe the most successful clients are those that have identified what is most important, family, travel, financial freedom, or protecting their nest egg. We then build a strategy that results in them spending more time doing the things they love. This is also our goal for our firm and our team. We are business owners ourselves, and have experienced the ripcord moment twice, once in 2006, and then again in 2013. The first landing ended up a little too bureaucratic with a lack of flexibility in how we ran our business and served our clients. The second transaction was much more successful because we focused on the things we valued, independence, opportunity, control, and the ability to run a business where people truly love coming to work. Our team today is stronger than ever, and our people are empowered to build strategic, innovative, and thoughtful plans that allow our clients to get more life out of their wealth. And we're back with Brian Shaft and CEO of RBC Records. Brian, we're talking about the due diligence process. Let's just take that conversation a, a hair further before we pivot, and that is what would you say are some of the things in preparation for due diligence maybe you would have liked to have done ahead of time so that that process would have been easier? You know, fortunately for me is I, I did do a lot of those ahead of time. I I went knowing that I was going to have to go through all my artist statements. I, I did them again in advance of the deal just to make sure they were all in line. I started searching for the contracts uh, as much as I could. You know, I, I did a lot of the preparation before before the actual part started, and and, and the, it, you know, having done that made it substantially easier. It's just you kind of have to go through it and, and roll with the punches because you just don't know what all the questions are going to be. And like I said, that's part of the that was part of the fun of it to me was not knowing what the questions would be, not knowing exactly how to answer them, having to go back and retrace and talk to people and figure out what things meant. There were some ambiguities that I weren't aware were ambiguities until this 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 ha- had happened. And I had to write up some new contracts before the deal went down. So so it was a interesting process. Oh, wonderful. Well, you know, we call this show the ripcord moment. I'm a firm believer that 
when an owner exits their business, right? The idea is that their parachute can't fail. That ripcord has got to work. And part of what we're doing here is getting insights from owners like you who have gone through this process. And what I'd like to do is pivot the conversation to what are the couple of things that the audience, the owners who are out there are contemplating some sort of succession plan should think through in preparation for that ripcord moment? I love the word ripcord movement because that's exactly what it is. It really, you described it well. I've never heard that term before, but but it's a really great term. You have to be in sync mentally. The cultures have to be in sync. And, and I was very concerned about that myself as one example. I, ref, I First of all, I stayed on and, and I was part of the deal was they, they forced me to stay on for at least three years. My culture was really substantial and significant to the success of the company. And I was very concerned about merging with a culture that was different than mine. So what I was able to do is keep my own office. And and that was really helpful. But you have to be of like mind. You have to be ready for this. You have to realize that you might be a boss, but you're not the ultimate boss. You can't make all the decisions. You can't have the business operate at your speed. So to ask as many questions about specific scenarios in advance is great. As an example, I have one of my artists, Chief Keefe, who constantly is wanting money, whether it's he needs a new car, he needs a new chain, he needs cash, he wants a new house, whatever it is, I'd, I'd have to get it for him on a moment's notice. So to have those conversations and say, these are the specific examples of things that are going to happen. And I was a company, a small company merging into a company that has 120,000 people. I didn't want there to be a single skip in, in, in my relationship with my artists. I didn't want them to feel any detriments from this. So to go and specifically ask, these are the situations that I will encounter. How will you, how will you handle them? Fortunately, I mean, you can't, you can't predict all, all of the things, but the major ones we had had conversations about and determined how to execute difficult situations. And the finance department in particular at BMG is extraordinary. And, uh, you know, by being able to cut money and checks so quickly as though it was still me running the business was a huge advantage uh, for, for myself and for RBC. So, Brian, it sounds like you're really an advocate for you really have to think ahead in terms of what not only what your business was, but what it will look like when it's integrated into the new company and how will those systems function seamlessly both from where you had them before, but also what it's like inside of the new company and how, again, how it affects your clients. So uh, what is that seamless integration of the systems is critical, it sounds like there. Absolutely. And when you're a one-man show that makes all the decisions and you're used to being able to do things at your discretion in your time, it doesn't happen like that anymore. So you need to make sure that your partner, your new, your new business partner is going to be able to handle them and if not, how, how are we going to handle them? I don't want to be surprised when this, when this situation happens. I want to know exactly what's going to happen. Mentally, how are you able to make the switch? Because obviously you're very entrepreneurial. You started this company from scratch, which is like the true definition of an entrepreneur, to incorporating it into a business that has 120,000 employees. And now, yes, you're, you're still the CEO of this division, but- mm-hmm you in some ways have another boss you either have to answer to or at least appear that you're accountable to. How do you mentally make that switch? You know, that's, that's not easy. That is, that is one of the most challenging things because 
even if I see eye to eye with my boss, which I haven't had one in 20 years, 99% of the time, there's that 1% where you don't necessarily agree. Um, I, I was fortunate because I do have a really great boss who, who sometimes made me see that my answers weren't always right either. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm that guy that I always thought that I was making the right decision. In a weird way, it allowed me to have a conversation to figure things out. Um, at the same time, the thing that, that, that I didn't appreciate was I lost some of that speed, whereas I would have made the decision. Now I had to talk about it and not just with my boss, right? Because this is a huge company, but with a slew of other people in other departments to get everything and the mechanics working behind it. That was probably the most difficult uh, transition is, is really, and you know, I mean, I'm used to having my own way. And, and to be honest- As are most you, entrepreneurs and business owners, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. You're used to having your own way. You know what to do. You know how the, no one knows my business like I do. So- sure. So it's like, you know, and I had, you know, similar to you, Joe, where you invest people's money. I, I do the same thing. I invest my money into different artists and I have this huge track record of not making a mistake. So to have things slow down and to have these things, th- these, these, these are potential pitfalls. So, you know, we definitely had some, some uh, mistakes along the way. And both my boss and myself, we, we learned from them and, and we tried to improve the situation. I was lucky in the sense that BMG was pretty flexible to see my side. And and I suppose, you know, they saw that I was flexible in understanding their side too. And, you know, you try to come to some type of middle ground and, and hopefully it works most of the time. I promise it won't work all the time though. Yeah, no, I got it. Uh, let's pivot the conversation still on these action items to I think you're a big believer in like, what's your legacy going to be? And especially when you're, again, integrating this into a, a behemoth of a company, how do owners think about this? How do you think about this? I gave this a lot of thought. I, I don't have kids. I do have married, but no kids. My kid is my business. So uh, my goal is to have my business live beyond myself. I realize I won't be at BMG forever, but that doesn't mean that RBC, my company can't be there. So the legacy is of absolute importance to me personally. Uh, ways that I've ensured it to be successful is by training my staff. That was also really important, was keeping my whole staff with me. Um, my right-hand guy, I, I had been training him for many years to, to eventually take over my job, whether I sold or I didn't. So to have that already in place was key. To have the conversations with my direct boss about where I saw my company relative to music history. And mm-hmm. we would talk about that and frame a lot of our discussions. And I really appreciated that with my boss is we'd come back to how do we make history together? And, uh, you know, having a big bank and having a big army allowed me to, to cement this. And like I said, to have, I, I mean, the people that I hired, most of the people I hired started as interns for me. So I literally took them as babies and now here they are executives that match up against anybody and to really train these guys to understand the thought process, not just the answers, but really what the, the, what goes on behind the answers. Ultimately, I hope puts RBC in a great position to, to go on uh, for a long period of time. I can tell you that within BMG, RBC was, you know, the only division that hit its budget each year. Or, or beat its budget each year. And as a result, I think we got extra attention. 
And the company, even though it's this enormous company, recognized that the small division was a really important division that needed to be cultivated and had a, an enormous opportunity for growth. And I, I believe that they'll do that uh, years after I'm gone. Well, the takeaway from what I'm hearing in terms of, again, the legacy is having that vision of what you want your legacy to be and something bigger than yourself, right? Something that's almost inspirational, aspirational in nature, coupled with investing in your team, who's going to be the ones who carries that legacy beyond, you know, beyond Brian Shafton being at, being at BMG. Exactly. So, you nailed it. You nailed it. Wonderful. Well, those are great pearls of wisdom to share with our audience. Uh, Brian, we're uh, out of time today. I want to thank you so very much for uh, being with us again, sharing your insights. Congrats on all your success. And we'll go ahead and wrap it up. This is Joe C2 signing off from the Ripcord Moment, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Ripcord Moment. If you'd like to connect, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or on email at jc2 at mortoncapital.com. The information presented is for discussion and illustrative purposes only. The views and opinions expressed by the speakers are as of the date of the recording and subject to change. These views should not be relied on for financial, tax, or legal advice. You should consult with your attorney, financial professional, or accountant before implementing any strategies or transactions concerning your finances. Morton Capital is an SEC-registered investment advisor. Assets under management data is as of 12-31-2019. The views expressed herein should not be relied on as investment advice and are not intended as a recommendation to buy or sell any type of security. There's risk of loss investing in securities, including loss of principal. Past performance is no guarantee of future results.